You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. up everybody welcome to another episode of locked on vikings hope y'all had a great thanksgiving hope you're all staying safe on this black friday and today's episode is brought to you by built bar go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on you'll get 20 percent off of your next order i'm your host your pal and the kid you copied off in math class my name is luke braun you can find me on twitter at luke braun nfl you can find the show on twitter at Locked On Vikings. And of course, Locked On Vikings is a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which means that every Thursday we do crossover Thursday. If you were all wrapped up in the holidays and you missed it, uh, I did do a crossover Thursday with Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers. We talked about Teddy, we talked about the skill players, their defense, all that stuff. And uh, you can go listen to that for a broader view on Vikings Panthers. I want to hone in on a couple of things that I saw and kind of noticed when studying the Panthers that are a little bit more interesting to me. But before we get into any of that, we've got a couple of news things we have to go over. For one, the final injury report came out on Friday. Uh, Jordan Brailford, the defensive end they picked up, hasn't gotten much run. He's out for the game. Uh, Ezra Cleveland also out, kind of like we expected. He was a DNP all week. Uh, and Irv Smith is also doubtful, so I wouldn't expect to see him in the game either. Uh, they also designated Mark Fields to return from IR. That is, he's a backup, so in an ideal world, he's not getting on the field anyways. But of course, you know, the Vikings have had a lot of depth that has been tested, and I think they liked what they got out of Mark Fields for the small amount they got from him before he got hurt in uh, in that Green Bay game. Uh, and the biggest news I think that we have to talk about is that it doesn't sound like Adam Thielen's going to be in this game. He is, of course, on COVID-19 reserve, and the whisperings coming out of uh, TCO Performance Center are that Thielen uh, is not going to be ready to go by the time this game is out. And that means a few things. For one, it's going to kind of change the tenor of this matchup, which I'll talk about when, you know, when we kind of get to that. Uh, but for two, it also means that Thielen is likely like legit positive. This isn't a false negative thing. This isn't an exposure thing. He's legit like has COVID-19. And that means that if he misses this week, there's a decent enough chance that he misses next week. It can tend to kind of take two weeks around like that amount of time. Uh, and it also can really be kind of hell to come back from it, especially in a, a cardio heavy position like uh, wide receivers. So it, there's, I, I guess, a lot to watch. Some guys, some people come back and it's like totally like they just kind of had a bad flu or whatever. And some people take a long time to uh, to like fully recover and get back to 100%. And they'll be kind of playing at 95% for a month. Um, and we just kind of have, there's no real way to know which is which, who gets affected how. Uh, but at least in the immediate future, Adam Thielen probably not going to play in this one. And of course, that changes a lot of things uh, against this this Panthers team that has an offense that is probably going to make this be a shootout. This seems like uh, the kind of game where the Vikings are going to have a really, really hard time stopping the Panthers. And a lot of this is just pessimism about the defense for obvious reasons. Uh, but it's also, you know, I, I think the Panthers for a team that's what, four and six, four and seven, they have a lot of players who are worth fearing. 
Um, and I, I think that starts with the skill players, right? You've got like Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore. It doesn't sound like the, the Panthers expect Christian McCaffrey to go. I think he's also in that kind of doubtful range, so it's not impossible, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be part of this one. But of course, you know, Mike Davis has been no slouch there. They have a really, really great stable of skill players that are really good route runners, really good downfield threats, and kind of gadgety players that Matt Rule has been able to use. And so I think they're going to be able to get a, a lot of production, um, the other thing is we got to talk about Teddy, right? Teddy Bridgewater finally coming back to town. Um, you know, this is his revenge game, right? It seems like he's not exactly uh, not exactly too bitter <laughs> toward the Vikings. It's more of a friendly thing, but it's still, you know, a lot of people on this team are pretty familiar with Teddy Bridgewater. So let's go over Teddy Bridgewater real quick and talk about kind of who he is as a quarterback. Um, and I think this season, and I've kind of been trying to stick it to this season because it, obviously he's going to be a better, a different quarterback than, you know, after he takes two years away from injury um, or do injury, uh, you know, he's probably going to be, I, I think he's grown a little bit into a different quarterback than what we saw in Minnesota. Um, and I, a big thing is he's very, very quick to throw. That was a huge thing for him in Minnesota was that he held the ball forever. And part of that was the scheme. He was always waiting for long developing routes and stuff, but Carolina has him getting the ball out quick. He's the sixth quickest to throw in the league. And the other thing is he's not using a lot of play action. So this is a, a very different vibe of Teddy than we've seen before. It's a, I think he's like fourth or fifth lowest in uh, play action. It's just not Matt Rule's offense. It's more of a West Coasty kind of, uh, you know, get the ball out quick. And that means that the offensive line also plays very well here, and they haven't given up a lot of pressure at all. Right now, the, the Panthers' leader in pressures allowed is John Miller, who's given up 15 pressures. And there haven't there hasn't been like a crazy injury thing where like samples are small or anything. Like that's pretty legit. And uh, if you compare that to like what's going on in Minnesota, there are three offensive line positions that have given up more than that. And I say positions because, you know, if you just count the right guard thing as like if you combined them all into one player, they would have given up like 30 pressures or whatever. That probably counts toward like the the nature of this stat. But also Brian O'Neill has given up 18. Dakota Dozier has given up 19. And if you count Kirk Cousins, who PFF, uh, which is usually where I source this from is PFF, uh, they a lot of times will... Uh, credit the, the quarterback with a pressure if the quarterback holds the ball too long or if they drift out of their out of the spot and it ruins a pass blocking angle and then somebody ends up giving up a pressure but it wasn't really their fault because Kirk Cousins ruined their angle um that that has happened 16 times at least per their charting so even that is more than the guard so they they don't give up a lot of pressure I guess and having a quick uh, a quick throw offense helps low play action. I, I think it kind of helps with that particular part of the stat. Obviously, I'm a huge play fan of play action, but it does invite pressure sometimes. Um, and it, the other thing is, I think Teddy Bridgewater is also a really good pressure eraser where, you know, you have that thing with Kirk Cousins that he'll kind of drift out and, and ruin an angle. He's been a lot better about this this year, though. Uh, so this is more of an old criticism, but this is a thing that that Cousins would do sometimes. Um, and PFF has credited him with that a lot. Uh, where, you know, you'll have somebody blocking and then Cousins drifts too far outside of where he's blocking from and then suddenly you're no longer between your man and the quarterback and you lose your block. Teddy's really good at the opposite thing. Say, you know, you get somebody gets beat to the outside, Teddy can kind of uh, drift to the inside and then suddenly you have another chance. That's the kind of thing uh, that has, was always a huge strength of Teddy Bridgewater's dating all the way back to Louisville. So all of this being said, you have to cover. Getting pressure on Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be an easy thing. 
and he still has his escape ability where he can scramble out and make a play, so you'll have to be really, really sound on your pass rushing angles. And this is kind of how Mike Zimmer approaches mobile quarterbacks is, uh, you know, the, the Aaron Rodgers strategy he's always had, which is to kind of uh, corral them with the exact right spot. So sometimes you'll ask a pass rusher, you know, hey, uh, Odenabo, instead of just pinning your ears back and going for the quarterback, just get to this spot and hold it there. We're going to ask DJ Wanham, or this would always be like, we were going to ask, you know, Daniil Hunter to just beat the guy, and Everson Griffin, you just stay there on the other side so that when Daniil Hunter beats his his man, the quarterback can't escape past you. You're going to be in the way. And that was all really difficult, and uh, I mean, Everson Griffin was never a great fit for that. He would always kind of get out of position trying to make a play. Um, so this is something that you're going to have to be really, really disciplined about. So the defensive line is going to have to be really disciplined, and a lot of that is going to mean sacrificing the actual ability to get pressure, and that means you're going to have to cover until someone can win a one-on-one, and that's going to be really difficult against like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. And the person I haven't mentioned yet, who is Robbie Anderson, who's a deep threat. That's like really, really scary. So you'll probably have to sit in that cover two kind of thing, pass off all the Robbie Anderson go routes to Harrison Smith. Uh, when I, last time I talked to you, I only knew the Wednesday injury report where he had a neck injury. He was DNP. He's been upgraded to limited. He's not on the final injury report. So that to me declares that he's going to play. So you're going to have to pass stuff off to him or Anthony Harris. Uh, and that's it's all it's all going to be very difficult to stop this Carolina offense, which is why I want to talk a little bit about the defense and the way that the Vikings can attack them so that they can keep up in a potential shootout. I also have your bold predictions, so make sure you stick around for those. I asked you guys for some bold predictions, and we're also going to check in on the bold predictions from the Dallas game. And hey, things are getting a lot different in this season, right? With, with What with the Ravens and Steelers game getting postponed, now it's on Tuesday. And no matter how you've been watching this season, Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day. Whether or not you are hanging out with your family or you were one of those people that would go watch at a bar, maybe you're a season ticket holder who's missing it. Uh, miss, missing the atmosphere. However you've been watching this year, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real general that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. All right, so coming up, like I said, you have your bold predictions coming up. Make sure you come back every Friday if you're into this, because every Friday we are going to talk about bold predictions, not only the ones for the upcoming game, but we'll revisit the ones from the last game and see if anybody got close. Usually I'll only take the ones that are like out there and wild, so I'd be surprised if anybody got one, but we've actually gotten close, and I can't wait to, uh, to, to talk about the ones from the Dallas game and see if anyone got there. Make sure you come back every single Friday on this show. I mean, I'd love it if you came back every day for this show, but if you're just into the bold predictions, know that they will happen every Friday. But before we get into that, I still want to talk about some of the Carolina defense stuff because the, the Vikings are going to have to keep up. I do not believe in the Vikings' ability to play the disciplined kind of football, the mistake-free kind of football that they're going to need to keep uh, Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater and this this Carolina offense in check. I, I think you know they haven't been a barn burning offense, but they do seem like the kind of offense that can really really light up the Vikings defense. That they will struggle to get off the field. And I haven't even talked about the run game. So you you got to keep up. I think this is going to be on the offense to keep up, and I, I I don't think there's a lot of room to rely on the defense. And usually where I want to start is with the cornerbacks uh, and and the secondary. And there's a problem. In the Carolina secondary. This is where I think the best chance for the Vikings to win exists. 
Um, and it's on the outside. So they have Corn Elder, who's probably their best defender. Uh, definitely their best their best pass defender, I think. He's, he's got the best coverage grade, at least. Um, and he has been playing in the slot. So he, he this is going to be another situation kind of like the Colts game, where you've got this really good slot corner, and you've got to figure out how to how to attack them on, on the outside. And unfortunately, they, you know, Justin Jefferson wasn't quite ready yet, so they couldn't just bring Justin Jefferson outside. This is going to have to be a Justin Jefferson game, though. And unfortunately, with no Adam Thielen, now the Panthers can just kind of bracket Jefferson outside and make somebody else beat them, that's going to be really difficult. Um, and it's it's more difficult to do, especially because you can't put him in the slot lest you go up against their best corner. But that might be the move. Corn Elder is the best among this bad secondary, but he's by no means an unbeatable player. He's not Kenny Moore or like Bryce Callahan or any of these like really elite slot. He's been a good player, but I think Justin Jefferson might be able to handle him. So you might just put Justin Jefferson in the slot, makes it a little more awkward for them to bracket. You know, you you can't uh, necessarily have like a safety that's just like only responsible for Jefferson when he comes out of the slot because some of the routes that come out of the slot are a little bit more difficult and you can kind of attack different coverages that way. You can send him up seams and stuff and try to confuse who's supposed to be responsible for him. And uh, hopefully, you know, he can find holes in zone coverage uh, and all of that stuff. Um, but I think otherwise, if you if you can't do that with Justin, or if you can get Justin Jefferson one-on-one and win on the outside, that's probably the most efficient way to attack these Panthers is get somebody one-on-one that can beat Troy Pride or Rasul Douglas and win on the outside. And there's a few ways to kind of enable this. For one, I think, um, you know, getting a guy one-on-one, you could actually learn a lot from like the way the Packers do this. The Packers are great at this, where they will overload one side of the of the offense, and that is going to basically tell the safeties, okay, you know, you're going to be kind of part of the coverage assignment on this side. If there are three wide receivers on one side, a lot of times coverage assignments will go like one, two, three. So you go, okay, you take the outermost guy, you take the innermost guy, you take the guy in the middle. Um, and a lot of times the safety will be part of that. And so the whole safety's job, and Zimmer's defense is one of these, the, the safety will kind of figure out what their job is by counting and saying, okay, where are the most the most skill players? And I go help on that side. So you can kind of take advantage of the way that, that those coverages are, are set up by saying, okay, we're going to put four people on this side of the formation. And that means both the safeties are going to go help out there. And that coverage is going to kind of be a difficult battle to win. And then on the backside of the formation, all alone, we'll put Justin Jefferson. We'll have him run a go down the sideline. And since we've put four people on the right, you know, and Justin Jefferson on the left or whatever, uh, then hopefully both the safeties are going to go help out defending us on the right. And you'll have Jefferson one-on-one on the left against like Troy Pride. And now you've created the mismatch that you want. Again, Packers are great at this with getting Devontae Adams one-on-one. I think he actually leads the league in uh, receptions against single coverage. That's that's the way that they kind of have made Devontae Adams into what he is and like really gotten him that volume. And that is a way that the Vikings can get Justin Jefferson volume in this game. I think honestly getting Justin Jefferson volume, it's something that people have really been harping on a lot. Um, and I think in this game, forcing volume, not necessarily by like gadget plays or doing the Cordero Patterson thing, but but by trying to win that pre-snap chess game of getting alignments and getting the right coverages is going to be a huge, huge key to this game. And it's going to be really difficult to kind of surmise who's winning it because of all the adjustments and things that happen pre-snap and all the things that safeties are figuring out in, the, in their heads and not really telling anyone about. Uh, but I think that's going to be a huge part of this game is what opportunities were the Vikings able to create for Justin Jefferson. If the Vikings can create opportunities for Justin Jefferson, he'll pay those off, but the Panthers' number one priority is probably going to be preventing the Vikings from getting opportunities to Justin Jefferson, and you have to be able to outsmart that. 
another way to take advantage of this is with box count. So think about it this way. If you have the safety that is instructed to bracket Justin Jefferson, they're probably going to line up deep. And if they're lined up deep, they can't do as much against the run. And this is essentially how a lot of teams have been able to run on the Panthers is they've been able to kind of spread everything out, get their safeties to kind of back way off thinking it's, you know, going to be, you know, thinking about their pass uh, assignments and then running into a six man box. This is kind of what the Cowboys did to the Vikings to get all those uh, all, all those yards for Ezekiel Elliott. They gave Ezekiel Elliott a ton of light boxes, only six, seven men in the box. It's really easy to run against that. And I, I think the Vikings can replicate that same thing and get some run production against Carolina. If you listen to Bill Rossetti from yesterday's show, the Crossover Thursday show, he was really worried about Dalvin Cook. And I think that the the Panthers giving up a lot of pr- production in the run it has more to do with box count, although they haven't had a lot of crazy disruptive people. The other problem is that they get pressure, so they, they're they pretty good pass rushing, but they've been poor against the run. Um, and I think so getting some light boxes and running into these, these Panthers is also absolutely a strategy I can get behind. Um, and if you do need to take deep shots on the outside to Justin Jefferson, you got to have check downs, you got to have extra blockers or something like that, and make sure that you're not leaving uh, anybody, you know, you're not leaving Dakota Dozier one-on-one with Brian Burns, because that will destroy you. So I I could nerd out about all this stuff forever, but I do still want to get to the bold predictions, so stick around, we'll go over the Dallas ones, we'll go over what you guys said for this Carolina game, this is always kind of the most fun part of the week, so let's end it off with a bang. All right, everybody, it's time for bold predictions. Let's get into it. So what we always do is we start off with uh, the bold predictions from last week. So last week, going up against the Cowboys, Duke Bangkok said Cowboys win by 10. And uh, I got into a back and forth with him. So he just said the Cowboys will win. And that was his bold prediction. I was like, well, that's not bold enough. They're only favored by a touchdown. It's like a plus 270 outcome by Vegas. Like you wouldn't even win that much money betting on it. That's not bold enough. So he's like, okay, Cowboys win by 10. Is that bold enough? And it turns out that that was bold enough because that is uh, 10 points. They only won by three. So you would have got it right if I didn't if I didn't uh, pester you about it, but I think that would have been too easy. Michael Schneider says Jefferson gets over the 1,000-yard mark on Sunday. He would have needed 238 yards. He was pretty much shut down in this game. A lot of it was because he was bracketed, and they left Adam Thielen one-on-one on the other side of the formation, which Cousins always happily took. So it wasn't a big Jefferson game. Tyler Forness said Mata'afa and Wanam combined for 12-plus pressures. Uh, the The entire Vikings did not combine for 12-plus pressures, which is unfortunate. Lance said, Chad Beebe time, baby. He will go wild versus the Cowboys D for 6, 123, and 1. Chad Beebe was not targeted in the game. That's uh, that's a whiff. Troy said Kirk Cousins ends up with more rushing yards than Ezekiel Elliott. Elliott had the best game of his career, had his best game since like 2018 against the Vikings, so he didn't get there. Tanishka said one block punt, one punt return touchdown, two missed kicks, not specifying who gets what. So I think we only had one missed kick. We had the missed extra point for Zerline. It was a block. Well, it was a blocked kick, so it was kind of counted as a missed kick. No block punts or, or punt return touchdowns or anything like that. So uh, not as much special teams chaos, but I saw where you were coming from. Uh, Wade French's wife, oh yeah, says Dallas will run out of quarterbacks. They'll put Zeke in there. I loved the chaotic energy of that. Of course, we didn't get there. Andy Dalton stayed pretty clean. Uh, and Spencer Thompson said Gladney gets his first pick and scores on it. And that was uh, also, we didn't. he didn't get a pick. Chris Boyd almost got his first pick, uh, but Jeff Gladney just kind of got wrecked the whole game one-on-one against Amari Cooper. Uh, so let's move on to the ones from week 12. Uh, I've got some of my favorites here. Again, just look out for uh, usually uh, during like Thursday night football, 
I will put out a call for these. Uh, so if you want to get in on this, follow me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Wait for, for that tweet. Um, of course, came out a little differently because of Thanksgiving. I'm recording this on actually proper Friday. So sorry if you missed out. Uh, but we got a few. Michael Schneider said, Ola BC breakout game if Thielen can't go. 125 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, so probable that Thielen can't go. I think he wrote this right before the news broke that like, yeah, they don't expect him to play. So he probably won't go. Um, and a, a BC breakout game. I, I like it because the outside corners are rough like if bc can beat anybody it's these guys it's like troy pride right and rasul douglas who's had a really up and down career with philly and hasn't had a great year in carolina um like i i think that that's definitely a matchup that like this could happen matt blasig blasig i'm so sorry uh says play action bomb for a touchdown on the first play of the game whoever has the ball first i love it just whoever um that would be pretty insane if it were carolina because they are not a play action team but hey who knows, right? Anything can happen. And the Vikings have been pretty bad against play action, at least per my eyeballs. I, I don't really have a like data for that, but it seems like it's been kind of, they've been pretty susceptible to it. Uh, Minnesota Sports Report says CJ Ham goes for two touchdowns, one catch, one run. There is another one, uh, I guess I'll read it at the same time, that says, uh, that's from Eli, that says two players not named Jefferson, Rudolph, or Cook will score receiving touchdowns for the Vikings. So that would include, and he says also no Thielen or Irv Smith, assuming they won't play. Uh, I think you're right about that. So like weird players, right? So of those players, that that leaves Tyler Conklin, which I think might have uh, one of the better chances of, of paying this off. Of course, CJ Ham and on the goal line, touchdowns to CJ Ham are definitely a thing. They love to run like sale concepts or little underneath stuff or like high low stuff on the red in the red zone with CJ Ham running that goal line thing and a lot of times just being the fullback a linebacker that has has uh, fallen for a play action fake will often be the guy that is responsible for the fullback in man coverage and then the man, the fullback can leak out and be totally uh totally wide open because the guy who is supposed to be covering him is tackling the running back instead. A CJ Ham rushing touchdown would be a lot more interesting uh, for the Minnesota Sports Report one because a a rushing touchdown would mean that they like really gave it to him like really on the one. So we're really going to have to see some some uh, like first and goal at the one type stuff for the CJ Ham one to go off. And again, seeing how the corners are, you know, if Justin Jefferson goes and beats a guy in the in the end zone and gets wide open and then ends up getting interfered with first and goal on the one, right? Like I could see that happening. I think it's going to have to take some kind of that shenanigan for it to be. Uh, for, for CJ Ham to get two touchdowns because I I I mean I kind of don't really see him housing one from 25 yards out right he's it's gonna have to be a point blank range range type of thing um and for Eli's that says two players not named Jefferson Rudolph Cook or Thaler Smith uh yeah that's that's Conklin that's CJ Ham that's Alexander Madison catching one I could see that uh that's somebody like Chad Beebe somebody like uh BC Johnson or the really weird one, because everybody seems to have been pulling out their trickery in the Thanksgiving games, a Kirk Cousins receiving touchdown. That would be, I think that's going to be my bold prediction for the week, a Kirk Cousins receiving touchdown. Let's get weird about it. Let's run a Philly special. They they have done it. They they uh, ran that play last year at some point. Didn't they run it in the in the playoff game against San Francisco and Stefan Diggs didn't make the throw? Uh, so something like that. Uh, speaking of Cousins, Kai says Kirk Cousins throws for 300 plus yards. Cook rushes for 150 plus and the Vikings still lose. So Cook rushing for 150 plus and the Vikings losing would definitely be more surprising to me just because when you're winning, you're running, right? 
So the Vikings would probably only be able to get Cook over 150 if they have the lead that justifies all the running. And if Cousins also has 300 plus yards, I mean, that just means they're gashing them and it's just like huge shootout, right? So I uh, bet the over Kai, I guess, if that's if that's how you think things, that things are going to go. Uh, I, I don't hate I, I think that numbers are within reason here. Um, I mean, all of them happening at once is unlikely enough that I count it as bold, but the, the numbers are all within reason, right? Cook has gotten 150 plus a few times. Cousins can has gotten 300 plus. He's actually got like 290 a bunch of times. Um, but yeah, he's he's gotten 300 plus, right? And the Vikings can totally still lose a game, you know, 35 to 42 or something dumb like that. Moose's dad says, <laughs> I love that, says Mata Afa, multiple sacks. I love it. Um, this is a good offensive line. So Mata Afa getting multiple sacks would be awesome. But the thing about uh, rushing against Teddy Bridgewater, kind of like what I described in the first segment, is uh, that a, a lot of times, you know, you you have to get your pressure and funnel him into somebody else who's just in their spot. So you're going to have to be really, really, really disciplined. So I wouldn't be surprised if this turned into Mata Afa gets the kind of the credit for really getting the sack, but he actually gets kind of washed into Shamar Stefan's arms or whatever. Um, because if I were the Vikings, who you know, who do I ask to be the guy that penetrates and get it? I think Mata Afa might be that guy with his quickness. He's got quite a twitch, right? So you might want to have him be the guy. Okay, you just get past the guy and get him. And then when he tries to scramble, we'll make sure everybody else is in the right place. Um, that, I think, I don't know, that, like that's the way I would game plan it, I think. Um, so Mata Afa, multiple sacks. I, I, I would love it if this one came true. Next one comes from Jordan Barrett, who says Bridgewater will return and throw the most yards in a single game at U.S. Bank Stadium. And uh, I looked this up for you. You are correct. Uh, he says, I think that's topping Tom Brady's 505 yards in Super Bowl 52. That is the most single yards in a game at U.S. Bank Stadium. If you want to go regular season game, that was actually Matt Ryan, uh, who got 371 and four touchdowns in the game earlier this year. And, you know, knowing Teddy's style, Teddy's been one of the lowest ADOT cornerbacks, uh, quarterbacks, and ADOT is average depth of target. He's been one of the, the lowest average depth of target quarterbacks in the league pretty much his whole career. He's always been a take what the defense gives you, kind of conservative guy, dink and dunk down the field, 15 play drive, and that definitely works, um, but it doesn't it doesn't. Really Really rack up 500 yard games. Um, I mean, I gotta rewatch Super Bowl 52. That game, I was so hurt during it that it was so hard to like enjoy how good of a game that was. But man, that game was insane. 505 yards and Tom Brady lost, and it wasn't like a bunch of garbage time. Like it was just this crazy shootout. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this game could end up being like a shootout like that. But Teddy Bridgewater doesn't. Maybe here's a ray of hope: is that Teddy Bridgewater doesn't seem like the kind of quarterback that is as equipped for the shootout type thing as Kirk Cousins forcing windows, throw it down the field, kind of. I, I think Kirk Cousins is a more aggressive quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater. That's probably not controversial, is it? Um, and so I, I think that in a shootout, maybe you're a little bit better equipped, but in a, you know, just hold on to the lead kind of thing, I think I'd probably rather be the Panthers with Teddy uh, and, and all of the things. And it's also Matt Rule's offense too, right? There's a lot of crossing routes and, and a lot of, uh, you know, screen, bubble screens and stuff and yards after the catch type stuff. The whole thing about this defense up against these Panthers is that they're going to have to be disciplined about their angles. They're going to have to not make stupid mistakes. Just go do your job and, and kind of be in the, the place you're supposed to be. That's how you counter the Carolina offense. Carolina offense is built to punish you when you get out of position. So you cannot let them do that to you. And the final bold prediction I want to read is quite a saga here from Leader Noir says... 
After dominating the Vikings defense for three quarters with a flawless display of quarterbacking and taking the Panthers to a 31-7 lead at the final break, Teddy Bridgewater looks over to the Vikings sideline to see a single tear rolling down the cheek of Mike Zimmer. Alone, Teddy sits, contemplating for a minute or two before unexpectedly rising. He casts his Panthers helmet aside and strides confidently across the field as to... Vikings players lift their heads from their activities and watch silently. Teddy stands before Zimmer. Their eyes lock, and with a slight break in his voice, Teddy utters, I... I want to come home, coach. The Vikings players and entourage erupt with cheers and throw their helmets into the air as Zimmer and Teddy embrace, surrounded by the celebrating Vikings sideline. Zim sweeps the tears from his face with the back of his sleeve and clicks his intercom to the on position. Brzezinski, make this happen. Teddy goes on to lead the Vikings in a stunning fourth-quarter comeback victory to beat the now-P.J. Walker-led Panthers 35-34. After the game, Teddy is announced as starter for the remainder of the year, and the Vikings go undefeated for the rest of the season, ultimately winning the Super Bowl 27-21 against the Steelers. I don't know what part of your brain that came from, Leonard Noir, but please keep sharing it with the world. And on that... That's going to be this week of Locked On Vikings. I will see you all on Monday. We're going to recap whatever happens in this game. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And as always, Skull.